Real Men Feel with Andy Grant encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been told, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now let's get to it. Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. Uh, This episode is brought to you by mensgroup.com. They are the leader in online men's groups where you can connect and chat with other men. Simple, straightforward. You get curated into a group of guys that are like-minded. They're in similar situations to you. Uh, it's an excellent place. I've, I've been part of a number of groups. I'm facilitating some groups. So you might even see me there. Visit mensgroup.com slash RMF. You'll find articles, resources, more information, and the opportunity to sign up to try one group for free. Uh, one of the things that gathering with other men has helped me a lot with is my own sense of, of not being a man. I was an emotional, sensitive kid. And I thought that meant that I wasn't masculine enough. I thought emotions were bad and that my, they meant that I was weak. So I'm really excited for today's show because we're exploring all of that, all that garbage. <laughs> my guest today is the author of Confessions of a Sensitive Man, an Unconventional Defense of Sensitive Men, Mr. William Allen. Welcome to the show. Hi, Andy. Thanks. Glad to be here. So, Bill, let's let's start with because I actually had never heard the term highly sensitive men until fans of the show wrote to me and said, thanks for making this place for highly sensitive men. I was like, great. What does that mean? So why could you start with like what what does it mean? What What is a highly sensitive man? Well, actually, high sensitivity is a personality characteristic um, that's been around throughout the history of humanity, but it hasn't really been shall we say, discovered or brought to light until probably the mid-90s when Dr. Elaine Aaron, who is, by all sense, she's sort of the uh, person who discovered this trade and has written the most about it, is considered the highest authority on it. Uh, In the mid-90s, she wrote a book called Highly Sensitive Person. And she talked about the trait, the kind of characteristics that are involved with the trait. And it's a, it's a, personality characteristic that is found in about 20% of the human population. Um, half of those are men, half of those are women. So it's kind of well-balanced between male and female. Um, I didn't find out about this characteristic um, until probably early 2000s when I read the book. And I thought, wow, you know, this really does describe me uh, and how I've grown up and over the years, how i live my life as an adult with this sort of mix of, of uh, various personality characteristics and, um, and then trying to get a hand or handle around that being a man and sort of putting that together with what my ideas and what our culture's ideas about masculinity are. So it's been uh, an interesting discovery for me, but the trade itself is, uh, is a personality characteristic that is, considered normal. If there's no, it's not a disorder. There's nothing wrong with anybody who has it. And the trait itself is called sensory processing sensitivity or SPS. So it is well accepted now in the psychology community. And, um, you know, I think we're seeing more and more people come out and talk about it. You're seeing more books written about it. And especially uh, seeing the sort of growing trend where men are stepping forward and saying, yeah, I'm, I, I fit that characteristic. And as, as for myself, I 
decided I was going to write a book about it because I had a lot of the same concerns a lot of men do about, well, how do I fit in as a man and have this characteristic? There's really not a difference between a highly sensitive person and a highly sensitive man, or, or do the traits show up in different ways for men and women? The trait itself, I think, comes out uh, and is displayed very much the same in both men and women. I think the difference uh, is that uh, societally, we kind of expect women to be more sensitive, nurturing, intuitive, uh, and it, it have a lot of those characteristic emotional. But men, because we have this model, this paradigm we use for, for what uh, you know, ideal masculine is, a lot of which negates the idea that men can be emotional, that men can have deep feelings, uh, that men can be intuitive. They don't have to always be perfectly logical. And one of the things that I wanted to, to bring out in the book is this idea that, you know, it is to confront that, that whole uh, paradigm about masculinity um, and, and sort of say to highly sensitive men, you know, you can be a model, a role model for an adaptation to this, this characteristic of masculinity that we have in the West. And, um, that, that there's nothing wrong there. You're no less of a man because you have this. Um, and sort of that's sort of where the unconventional defense part of it comes from the title. Why do you think traditional masculinity tries to discount emotions for men? Because I think, uh, you know, it, the evolution of this probably has been going on for many, many hundreds, if not thousands of years, is the idea that being emotional um, is a weakness because it's sort of the antithesis of what we want in a calm, logical type of a, a leader, which we, we expect our men to all be leaders. Um, and not being able to express those things fully, especially for men, is really a, a uh, an unfortunate thing because frankly being emotional is an evolutionary quality and it's a, an innate part of being a human being. And I think that not allowing men to express some of these characteristics um, takes away some of our humanness, you know, and tries to present this ideal, you know, of course now with, with uh, uh, the media that we have uh, movies, uh, video games, uh, you know, uh, TV shows, et cetera, we portray our heroes to be uh, almost emotionless sometimes and, and uh, perfectly logical and never, never vulnerable, you know. And that's one of the things that I think men, even though they may not wake up every day thinking I'm going to be this model, it's been conditioned into us since we we're little boys. So it, it – I think it's just, you know, I guess one of the things I brought on the book is something I remember from my undergraduate days in psychology. I have a bachelor's degree. I'm not a psychologist. But uh, was the idea that little boys cry more often than little girls do when tested in frustrating situations. And as they get older, you know, two, three, four years old, they get socialized out of them. You know, you can't cry. That's not a manly thing to do. We always expect our little boys to be little men. And, and you, you never hear someone say to a little girl, well, you have to be a little woman, right? Bill, when did you realize that you were a sensitive man? Well, you know, I think uh, all of us kind of know um, that we're different. Um, and um, there was no label for this when I was growing up. 
Um, and, and even in through adulthood, most of my adulthood, there was no label for it. Um, but I knew that I, I was more sensitive. I knew that I was moved more emotionally to things. Um, I had a, a sort of a quirky way of looking at things, which uh, is largely because of our the way our brains are wired and our ability to pull in nuanced information from the environment. And I knew I was different that way. And it wasn't until again, in probably the early 2000s that I read Dr. Aaron's book and realized, Hey, you know, this is something that is uh, a genetic trait. It's something that is a personality characteristic and it's something that's quite normal. Um, it took more work on my part in terms of uh, reading more and trying to investigate the trait before I started to really embrace it. I think a lot of men will say, well, yeah, I, I may have that, but I don't want to fully embrace this whole thing about being sensitive. Mm. And, you know, there's a pejorative to this whole thing about sensitivity anyway. Uh, it, it just sounds for most men that it's, it's a weakness and it's not, it's very much a, a, a strength, I believe. I tell you when, when someone wrote to me and said, thanks for making this place for sensitive men. Um, yeah, I still cringe. If someone calls me sensitive, it it bugs me. It does feel like it's a, it's a put down. It's I've yeah. never heard it said, "Oh, good, he's a sensitive man." It's like always been like a warning to people. Um, yeah. But if I say I I can own my sensitivity, but I'm still I notice I'm resistant and triggered if someone else calls it out. It's very strange to me. Yeah, and I think that especially uh, for men my age. Uh, the whole term of being sensitive goes along with this uh, notion of being too sensitive, right? And being too sensitive is considered to be a weakness. Um, it's it's a difficult thing. I mean, I, I kind of get why Dr. Aaron chose that term, because a lot of this characteristic involves sensing things. And um, that would make sense to use that term, but we rarely use that term in everyday language. To, to sort of talk about having this unique ability to sense things in the environment that, that, that a lot of people don't get. Uh, and I think that does contribute a lot to the emotional side of, of sensitive men is that we see things, we can, we're having conversations with people, we pick up little bits of information that most people would not see, and then we our brains start putting things together, and of course, sometimes that creates an emotional reaction. So, um it's a difficult term to deal with, but I would like to help. And as I'm sure you're doing the same uh, on your side, and I see more other men doing this as well, is making it normalizing this term for men, you know, that it's not a bad thing. Um, and as I said before, I think it really can be a strength. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I totally agree. But it did take me years to come to that place. Uh, when, when you were younger and realizing that you were different and that things um, touched you emotionally, in a different way than, than other boys. What did you think about yourself at that point? Well, I'll tell you one of the things that I used to do a lot of, and this is something that HSP men do or, and HSPs in general do is I needed downtime. I need time by myself. Um, I was kind of an information geek when I was a kid. It was before the internet was even a thing. We had the world book encyclopedia and I would go into the, my room, lock the door, sit down and read and, 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 uh, and just do research on my own. I was kind of an information freak. My friends would come by and they were all kind of outgoing, wanting to go out and do things. And I would have to make excuses not to go out. Right. And so I knew, knew there was something 
different about me wanting to stay in and be by myself, having a lot more alone time. When a lot of my friends were extroverted, they were non-HSPs, and they needed, craved the gathering of the neighborhood boys uh, and go out and do something, you know, go out in the woods or, or um, you know, play a sport or whatever. I did that, but I also needed that time to myself as well. So I knew even then that there was something unique about me in a different way. Um, it was hard for me to explain it to myself and I could never explain it to anybody else. So it was kind of a, a period of time of just trying to figure out where do I fit in? What, how does this, you know, how am I, that my personality, how does it fit in with a larger group of uh, boys or, you know, uh, people in general? Cool. You, just, you, you sharing that reminds me that, yeah, I, I had an illustrated Encyclopedia Britannica. And as a kid, I would just, when I was bored, I would just read the encyclopedia, pick, yes. pick a letter and, and just read. And like, and yeah, and I recall, you know, all sorts of making up things to not go out, but again, not realizing I needed some alone time. That's um, really, that's really what it amounted to is that quiet time. Uh, doing something like that. I mean, I also had little toy soldiers and stuff like that. I, it's funny because, and I wrote—I think I wrote about this in the book. I think it's in there, uh, where I would take these toy soldiers. A lot of my friends would take them out in the backyard, line them up, shoot BB guns at them, and knock them off. Where I would take my soldiers, and I would have us create a movie scene where there was dialogue and there was action and all this stuff. Nobody got killed in it, but the whole idea was that I was manipulating these little soldiers to create something from my imagination, and that I think is also something that you see a lot in highly sensitive people is this idea of this cre creative streak that we have uh, to look at things differently, look at things a little differently than most people do. And um, that was just something that I did when I was a kid that I, I thought it was normal. I, I thought it was fun too. I had a lot of fun with it, but a lot of my friends would have looked at it and said, you know, let's do this in a different way and whatever. And I just never fell into that category. Hmm. Yeah, when when I would notice that I was uh, feeling things more, more being more emotional, affected by things more, you know, I really I judged myself, and I thought that I was broken and flawed, and was a, was a misfit, and and it just brought me on a path of like being more sensitive, but to bad things, but to you know my own judgment of it. But I really appreciate how you're pointing out that the. Uh, too sensitive is implied in any time that a man is called sensitive to begin with. It, it's yeah. as if any amount of it is too much to some people, it seems. Yeah. And you know, I, you know, I hate, well, I'll bring in sort of a contemporary example here is I really do think that one of the, the chief characteristics of sensitivity is this idea of empathy. Um, and we are sorely lacking this um, in the world today. Um, this is a place where I really do believe that, you know, uh, it, it's something that could be attached to this idea of sensitivity and that men could uh, certainly, uh, highly sensitive men can as a model for this idea of being more empathetic, um, be an example to other men to be able to express this. Now, here's an interesting thing um, that I've been really being drawn more and more to. And of course, this is something that I found when writing the book, when I was doing some research, is that a lot of people are seeing sensitivity as a spectrum. It's sort of like a, think of a bar, I mean, a, 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 um, a curve. And um, 
most people fall in the great big middle, which they do in a bell-shaped curve. On the low end, you have people who have very little sensitivity, uh, but it's still, there's some there, even the, some people who might even be considered um, selfish and self-centered could still have certain empathy at some level or show signs of sensitivity. The great broad mass of humanity, which is the other 80% of people who, who don't have high sensitivity, have the ability to, to tap into that part of themselves, empathy and creativity and nurturing and so forth. It's not to say they don't have it. But at the other, the top end, you have people who are identified as being highly sensitive. Um, and there's even a spectrum within high sensitivity. Some people, I think, are sort of low high sensitive and middle high sensitive and high high sensitive. So if you want to break it even further down. But the idea that we all have that and the people that are in that top end, the highly sensitive people, both whether male or female, but particularly men, I think could start modeling this not only for our sons to see and, and, and other young men to see, but um, as a model for men, period, uh, to learn about getting in touch with their emotions and feelings, um, learning to be more nurturing uh, and more creative uh, and also allowing themselves to be vulnerable, you know, to, to, to say, I don't know everything. You know, the, the, I guess the, you know, the joke is the worst thing a, a, a guy can do is ask for directions. Right. I mean, that's, that's just something that says, I don't know where I'm going. Right. Well, that's that kind of vulnerability. I think more men need to be able to, to display because it really is affecting health, mm-hmm. uh, mental health, particularly, we live in a very turbulent time right now. A lot of the things that we've known uh, in terms of financial security, et cetera, et cetera, for a lot of people, it's not there anymore, especially now with COVID. Men are dealing with this because they are still tied to this idea that they have to be the sole breadwinner. They have to be the leader of the family. When in fact, if, if they've got a good partner, they don't. They can be vulnerable. Uh, they can start showing that. And, and I think... Uh, those of us who are sensitive uh, can show examples of that and model that for, for these other men. And I think it's really uh, an important evolutionary step we need to take as men go, going forward. You're, you're putting out a lot of things that are really positive aspects of being sensitive, which, which again, growing up, I did not see. It took a long time to get those. So I would want to, to, to focus and reemphasize these, that some of the positive aspects are empathy, creativity, vulnerability, um, being a role model, seeing this as an evolution of masculinity, an evolution of men. And, you know, earlier we said that, uh, you know, trying to strip emotions from men is, is really dehumanizing. It's taking away some of our humanity. So is opening up to sensitivity kind of rehumanizing and, and bringing humanity back? Is, is, is this kind of, you know, like a pendulum swing on, on the scales of humanity? Well, I, you know, as I, as I was writing the book, the more I thought about it, I kept thinking what we really need is, you know, uh, balance. Balance is the key. A lot of people, a lot of men might hear this kind of talk and say, well, you're trying to feminize men. Well, that's, that's not exactly what I mean by balance. We all have an element of what I guess you could call uh, feminine energy in us. Um, those characteristics that we tend to characterize as feminine. 
Um, women have the same. They have certain characteristics that are masculine. Both of those together are human qualities, characteristics. And I think what we should strive for is this idea of, of being more human first. Because actually masculinity and femininity are culturally defined traits. There, you know, there are some biologically tied things to that. But for the most part, our culture is defined what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. And I think what's happening is, is more and more people are stretching the boundaries of that traditional masculine role. And this is uncomfortable for people who are more or less traditionalist. But the idea is that being human should be our first and foremost drive. Be more human. Emotion is part of human nature. It is there for reasons. And it was, you know, sort of an evolutional uh, uh, system that was designed to direct behavior. Um, so we shouldn't be trying to suppress it. Uh, by the same token, I, you know, some people can go overboard and become overly dramatic. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is allow the free expression of emotion that's within you. Um, that idea also helps connect you to other people. Um, a lot of times you, we find, I think, that men are more isolated because they have fewer outlets for expression. Women tend to be more verbal and they tend to be able to talk more freely about what they're feeling and thinking. Men will do that gathering, but you know, very often they don't talk about deep things. It's usually relegated to things like sports or politics or finances or something else. It, it doesn't get too human. It gets more of a sort of a external uh, view of the world, but it doesn't get to the interior part. And I think this is where men need to start learning to be more open about how they're feeling and be able to express that comfortably and not be, you know, criticized or attacked for being too sensitive or too weak or, or whatever, because that certainly is not what it is. I want to see what you think about this. I've always thought that people kind of putting on to you that, Oh, don't be too emotional. Don't be too sensitive. It's, it was, it's a reflection of their own fear to feel their own stuff. Like, Oh, if, if, if men are allowed to be sensitive, then I'm going to have to be, and I don't want to be right. Yeah. Does, does that make any sense? Yeah. And it can, that certainly could make uh, uh, some person feel more secure in the fact that they're not going to reveal who they are. But the idea I think for, especially for men is this idea of vulnerability that, you know, I, I don't know the answer. I don't know what to do. You know, I don't even know how to express it. Uh, these are all kinds of things that, that we don't want, you know, for, like I said, from a cultural perspective, we don't want men to show. That shows that you don't know what you're doing. Um, and men are always supposed to be confident and they're supposed to be able to figure things out, you know. Um, and that's something that we, it's a kind of internally constructed barrier that we have from letting our emotions uh out and more freely you know a lot of most men won't go to see a therapist if they have an issue if it's depression or if it's uh, family issues or it's communication problems with relationships they don't go the reason they don't go is because that makes them vulnerable and it admits it's sort of a self-admission that i don't know what to do again i i think we have to do is start figuring ways to knock the bricks out of the wall and so that men can feel more comfortable with this. It's not going to happen all at once, but 
if we can position highly sensitive men into recognizing the trait as a positive thing, that your natural ability to show emotion is a is a good way of showing other men that it's okay. You won't you won't become annihilated because you opened up and were uh, able to express your emotions and feelings. And it's really important to be able to do that. I mean, it's like I said, it's a very human characteristic, and that's where we should be focusing this attention on being more human. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. And you know, the, I, I, what I see most often from talking to guys is that there, there's this mask of men that you've said it like we always know what's going on, and if we're willing to drop that and just go, yeah, I have I have no fucking clue, man. And yeah, just yeah. admitting that little uh, to me, it, it brings a sense of freedom and and lightness. Um, so I love everything you're saying. Do, do you think that, you know, in our lifetimes, can society shift so much that they value, that society comes to value male sensitivity? Yes, I, I, I honestly do. In fact, I, you know, one of the characteristics about that I didn't really have really talked a lot about, about uh, high sensitivity is this ability to have a, a connection with your intuition, right? And a lot of times intuition is... Uh, kind of seeing things in a new way um, with things that you're not, that are not really known. And I, I'm not talking about magical stuff here. I'm talking about being able to, to tap into your unconscious mind, things that you've learned and seen and observed and so forth. Uh, and being able to reach down in there and put things together, take little pieces and say, okay, I see a trend here because this is going this way or that way. And frankly, I have been seeing this, even though I haven't, you know, up until the time I wrote the book, I haven't been looking for it, but I see a trend that I think that uh, what's happening is that we're changing definitions of gender simply because it's having to evolve that way. Our traditional lifestyle that we had maybe even as early as, uh, or as late as 40 years, 50 years ago has changed. It's constantly changing. Men are doing things that uh, women traditionally did, and women are doing things that men traditionally did, and society is chugging along. It's, it, wor- it works. It doesn't have to be you have to be in this box or in that box. And again, I think if we take the idea of that being more human to be more emotional and are in touch with and accessing emotion – then it takes away this idea that it's a manly thing or a, 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 or, or less manly or non-masculine or, or it's more feminine or whatever and say it's more human yeah. and that we're all humans first. Right. Yeah. Um, so tell me, yeah. So the, the, this whole idea is encourage more people to be human. Yeah. It, it, to me, that's, yeah, that's, it's maybe a little oversimplified, but the idea I think is something that most people can grasp. Be human first. There are human characteristics that both men and women share. Let's let's focus on those things too, uh, so that we can see that you know one isn't better, or stronger, or weaker, or whatever than the other. Um, and with that idea in place, as I was saying, I am seeing sort of trends that are going on where where these things are happening and changing underneath. Um, and what you're having, you're seeing, I think, politically now is this sort of a pushback from people who have a more traditional value uh, of what men and women are supposed to be and what they do, um, not wanting to move down the, with this sort of evolutionary wave. I think it is happening. Um, and uh, the fact that 
you know, it could be uh, how we look at gender, uh, how we look at uh, sexual orientation, how we uh, define what a family is. Um, you know, all those things are starting to be shaped by our, our technology and by our, our current culture. Uh, and it's changing. So to answer your question, I think that's going to be part of it. I think the idea we've lived under sort of this, this sort of yoke of what is called hegemonic masculinity, which is basically that a, you know, white males make the decisions for all of us. Um, and uh, regardless of where you fit underneath that, you're, it's sort of a domination role. And I think we're starting to shackle, uh, take off those shackles. And, you know, it's now being sort of labeled as toxic masculinity. And it is toxic. It's toxic to men. Um, not only to men, but women and, and children and people of color and, 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 and L- the LGBTQ community, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's shifting and people are pushing back on that. And I think there is kind of a quiet revolution going on. Um, and as we see more and more sensitive people understand this quality, understand it within themselves and understand that it's okay to be that way, then I think we're going to see shifts taking place. They may not be, um, you know, sometimes it takes a generation. Sometimes it takes two generations to go through. But I think we're seeing incremental moves towards that now. It really, until today, I thought that, you know, Biden and Trump were examples of someone who was sensitive and someone that just wasn't. But right. as, as we're recording this, we're in the aftermath of the election. Things are still being counted. Uh, it feels imminent that it will be declared official soon for Biden. But then I'm sure it's going to be court battles and, and pursuit of that. But uh, Biden is is known and talks about his empathy. That's like he's he's leaning into this notion of being a sensitive man. Right. And I always thought Trump wasn't. But seeing him, he President Trump is very sensitive, but he's more in resistance to it. To me, he's he's obviously bothered by what he wants to be liked. He is resistant to being seen as sensitive, but he definitely is sensitive. He's he's thin skinned uh, to use a it's not a term I would love in this case, but he he's a exactly. he's aware you know, of the thoughts that, and opinions that's of everybody. That's something that I've, I've grasped here and very sensitive to criticism. Yes. Uh, anywhere he sees that. Um, and it very well could be um, a sensitive person. I don't know how highly sensitive he is. I think he is more of a product of his home life. And uh, the way he his relationship with, was with his father, maybe with his other family members, his siblings, and he, he kind of grew up in a culture of, of where he had to be dominant and everybody had to be submissive around him and so forth. I mean, yeah, he, he's, he's like, they're going to study this guy uh, for years uh, for, from a psychology standpoint um, and how he got to the point where, where he is. But I think he does appeal to a lot of people who are traditionalists who like to see the traditional male role model, which he tries to portray. Mm. And if you look closely enough, you do see the sensitivity that's yeah. there, but it's in kind of an aberrant way. Uh, one thing he doesn't lack, I mean, he doesn't have is empathy. He has no empathy whatsoever. Uh, and that may upset some uh, of your viewers, but the reality is I, I think it's pretty clear that he doesn't. Um, and um, that's something that's a real hallmark for highly sensitive people. It would be very hard, although it's probably not impossible, but very hard for HSP to be a narcissist because to be a narcissist means you have to sort of divorce yourself from having empathy for anybody that you affect. 
And from just speaking for myself and the other HSPs that I know, I, I think that would be hard for us to really do um, and and uh, execute because we'd feel guilty about it. We'd feel bad about it because we would be empathizing with the, the output to, to the to the person that we were directing our uh, anger or our, or whatever it is that we're doing to them. Uh, so, uh, you know, he, he's an interesting case study, but you're right. That's a very interesting point that you brought up about the fact that, you know, it's a sort of contrast. People are going to have to make these kind of choices. Which way are we going? We're we going into the future with the, the idea of being more sympathetic. I mean, more empathetic as a culture, uh, more inclusive, um, are we going to stick with old traditional values that, quite frankly, I don't think are working? Cool. Yeah, I really just wanted to bring it up as as you mentioned that there's a spectrum of sensitivity, yes, and that so and so even somebody think, oh, that's not sensitive at all. Like, no, actually, you know, there is, and you, and you can see it at times. Um, so I would imagine that the only person type of person not somewhere on that, and not even a narcissist, but like a, a, a sociopath, truly has zero empathy or concern for anyone else, right? Yes, yes. And uh, certain mental uh, health issues, uh, certain disorders probably trump, not, not to use that term as a pun, but sort of trump the, maybe the natural characteristics that a person might have towards high sensitivity. They might distort it. And the one thing about <clears throat> what I would like to see more research done is longitudinal studies about sensitivity, how your environment, how your life experiences alters the way you see things through that prism that we call sensitivity. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not the same personality that I was when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. I've had years and years of life experience to mold that. So it, it really becomes, maybe it is a prism that we look out of, or we filter things through our sensitivity, but we also have experiences, life experiences that we measure up against that. Some of those things may have altered us a little bit. I'm myself a lot more extroverted than I was when I was younger. So even on that introversion, extroversion scale. So I think sometimes we do slide up and down the scale, you know, as a, as part of a continuum. Sometimes we move more closely to being sensitive. Sometimes we move away from it a little bit. It all depends on our environment and our experiences. Yeah. Yeah, And I find once you accept your own sensitivity and don't judge or try to hide it or shame yourself for it, it's, it's easier to, to use it yes. appropriate times and to be more in control of it as opposed to, you know, again, dehumanize yourself in some way. It, it, exactly. And I, and I think in a lot of ways it's learned to, learning to live. Okay. You know, the very first thing off the bat is you're going to know that, you know, 20% of the population has this characteristic of SPS. 80% has some degree, but certainly not as high as you, if you have this, uh, the idea is learned that you're going to have to fit into a larger world. And you're going to learn how you're going to have to learn to adapt. And, you know, the world isn't going to come to you and there's necessarily going to adapt to you either. But the idea is that there are ways to do that. And there's ways to deal with overwhelm, which is a big thing that uh, uh, highly sensitive people have, which is this overwhelming sort of tidal wave of emotion sometimes or stimulation, maybe too much. How to deal with that, how to deal with uh, uh, reacting to things, maybe in a high emotional state when maybe you should learn to throttle it down a little bit. So I talk a little bit about that in the book. Some of the things that I've done, some of the things I've used certainly is not exhaustive, Um, but there are ways that you can take this characteristic and, and, and 
as you say, kind of control it or kind of drive it. Um, and it, it makes it certainly more palatable living in a world where a lot of times people don't appreciate the sensitivity that you have. Right. So what, what's a, what's a top tip for how to help someone deal with their own sensitivity? Well, one of the things that I did is, is uh, I had a business several years back uh, in Oregon um, that dealt with uh, using a tool called neurofeedback. Um, it's a particular type of neurofeedback, uh, but what it does essentially is help brain uh, train the brain. Uh, it's a very simple um, a device that I had, uh, a complicated piece of software, but it was simple to use, and what happens is this training of brainwave activity to keep uh, uh, it sort of the tool itself learns from your particular brainwave activity and then responds with messages to tell the brain to pay attention to do this. The nice thing about this technique, and this is one of many, uh, is that you don't really have to do anything. It's very passive. A lot of people, and I would highly recommend it too, is learning to do meditation. Well, this particular tool is kind of like doing a meditation without having to do the work. Um, a lot of times for, especially I noticed myself, it's probably true for a lot of highly sensitive people is that, that your brain doesn't stop. You, you know, the idea is that you train your brain to calm down um, and get into a relaxed state. And if you can do that over time, that when you're confronted with situations that are overwhelming, then you can it's almost like a body feel thing. You know that you can take your body and your mind to that place and you do it. And it does make a difference in how you react to things. The brain training did it. Neurofeedback did that. Um, like I said, various forms of meditation. Uh, there's all kinds of tools out there now for your phone apps where I think one that's very popular right now is called Calm, where you hear different types of sounds. You can have messages embedded at a subliminal level. Um, their brain train entrainment uh, uh, tools, software, et cetera, that and train your brain to sort of an alpha or theta brainwave state, which is kind of meditative states. These are all things that you can do um, to kind of calm your mind, especially if you're overwhelmed. And it's really a matter of training your brain to react a certain way. None of us ever get any training as children about how do you react to something emotionally right? You just kind of let it flow. You go through it. And sensitive people have a tendency to get overwhelmed in it because we're rehashing and rehashing and rehashing, and it kind of makes it worse. But well, the, at, at, And as children, we're off, more often taught not to emotionally react to anything, like stop crying, stop, you know, stop. We're, we're, exactly. we're taught not to be emotional. So. Exactly. And that's, that's sort of like, you know, trying to stick your finger in a, in a, in a fire hose and try to, to try to stop it. Um, but if, if, as adults and as you grow older, you know, that's not always appropriate. I mean, some highly sensitive kids do, you know, maybe have crying tantrums or whatever because they just don't know how to react to it. And it's a gradual process of training and teaching and that kind of thing to the child to help them as they grow into an adult to learn how to deal with these high watermark emotional events that happen and occur. The point being is there are ways out there to do this. And I mean, I have a, another book that was written at the same time. This book, I was going to do the first book now and then bring the second one out next year, which has a lot more uh, focus on what to do. Right now we've talked about this as a, is uh, something that we should all accept and embrace. Now, what do you do? 
how do you do, how do you, you know, how do you pick the right career for you? Um, how do you deal with uh, relationships and dealing with, uh, you know, social settings and so, so forth that you're not comfortable with? There's that sort of that idea that, yes, you can control what's going on. Yes, you can control how you think, uh, but we're not always taught that. And, and so um, tend to fall into these states of, of overwhelm. I see this a lot on Facebook groups. I see this a lot on, on certain web pages where people are talking about introversion and they particularly talking about high sensitivity. And it's always this kind of mentality. Well, let's run and hide for a while. And, you know, life will get better as we just kind of run away from it. I don't necessarily endorse it. I do believe that, 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 that we have to deal with overwhelm. You know, we have to do it primarily by ourselves but I think there's tools to help us get through those everyday situations where overwhelm may creep into your, your job and may creep into your relationships and everything else and how to deal with that. Um, and there are things you can do. Awesome. That's great news. Was there a particular experience or situation that really prompted you to, to write the book, Confessions of a Sensitive Man? Was there one particular instance that made you, I've got to write this book? Yes, I, I, I think... I, I actually started the book without realizing I was starting the book in 2016. I, I started to write a blog called The Sensitive Man. It's still out there. I still write for it every, every once in a while. Um, and what I wanted to, to do is, is take this, this idea of what sensitivity was and, and try to start building a case for the fact that high sensitivity is, um, is not a bad thing, especially for men. Uh, some of the earlier blogs were, you know, this, this was about the time that, uh, 2016, when we had the election and, and we started, went to this period of time where that kind of mentality that Trump espouses was taking sort of front center stage. And I thought I need to write something along that line of sort of defending a sensitive men and maybe even proposing an alternative. And also here's another thing is, one of the most important things I think for highly sensitive people is to find the right place in life for you. You know, not every job is going to work for you. Not every relationship is going to work for you. You're going to have to work a little harder to find it. And there I was, you know, uh, over 60 and I'm thinking, okay, now what am I going to do as my uncle? I worked in a, a corporate job as a manager uh, for years and I got out of that in early retirement because frankly I was getting fed up with it. Um, and so I started writing the book, uh, writing the blog, and halfway through writing the blog, I guess I got, I got this idea. Why don't you write a book about this? This is you got enough material, you can write a book. So why don't you do that? One of the nice things about writing, and I, because I'm not a quote unquote expert, I'm not a studied uh, PhD in, in, in psychology, is it gives me a little bit of leeway, you know, uh, to, to write the book in a way that maybe is more boots on the ground kind of stuff, not tied entirely to uh, all the research is there, although the book is well-researched. Uh, but I wanted to kind of kick the can down the road for this. And it became a purpose. And I started feeling like, wow, my whole life, everything I've done to this point comes down to this vortices where I, I'm writing this book. It's almost like everything I did in life, all the mistakes I made, all the things that I did that didn't work out the way I wanted came to this point where I would write this book. So 
it was like a mission. I started to sense that we needed to step up. And I do believe that very strongly that HSP men need to step up. And it doesn't have to be on a national level. It can be very locally. But that was part of the mission of the book, was that for me to be able to express that and to be able to get out there and, and, and show other HSP men that, you know, you, we, can, we can deal with this. This is a good thing. We can use this. Um, and so that was kind of the, the compunction behind writing the book. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm, I very much appreciate that you, you followed that mission and encouraging HSP men to, to step out, to be seen, to, again, to realize this isn't some sort of curse. You've done nothing wrong, right? right. It, it's normal. It's beneficial even. Um, you just got to learn how to look at it and use it. So, so, so Bill, what, what's the best way people can learn more about you, uh, learn more about the book? Um, I, I have, uh, let's see, I'm on just about all the um, social media. Um, I On Facebook, it's The Sensitive Man. I have a website. Uh, it's, it's called The Sensitive Man. It's the blog. It's um, You can also uh, have a link to, to go to the book. On Amazon, there, the book is out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the regular uh, online distributions. And now it's available in softback uh, hard copy. Uh, so they can get that, you know, they can reach me and, and communicate with me through the blog. Um, and I would love to hear from people and, um, you know, get some feedback as well about some of the things we talked about today. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, visit realmenfield.org. We'll have links to everything mentioned, all the ways to connect with, with Bill, uh, to, to grab the book, to learn more about uh, being a sensitive man, uh, whether you are one or not. Because even if that this doesn't feel like you, to know it exists and how it works can help you connect with others or increase your sensitivity if, if that's an issue for you. Right. So also, again, I mean, this, yeah. this would be something too for, for, for people who know sensitive men um, and maybe spouses of sensitive men or girlfriends or et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I don't think there's a, well, it's only 10%, but again, on this spectrum, Everybody has sensitivity <laughs> at, at some degree. So exactly to see all the positives of that is a wonderful thing. Uh, Bill, thanks for your time. Thanks for thanks for giving all your time to the book and bringing this out because it is definitely something uh, more men to need to know about. Um, as I said earlier, I, I had not heard of this term at all in, until I think maybe just a year ago. Um, and I bristled at it at first, but now I'm stepping into it more and more and owning it. And uh, so I appreciate role models like yourself, uh, putting yourself out there and reminding guys that uh, vulnerability, authenticity, these are all empathy, are all, are all real male superpowers that are, have not been utilized to their fullest yet. Absolutely. Beautiful. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate what you're doing, um, getting the word out about this um, uh, to men and, uh, you know, keep up the good work. We've all, we're all in this together now. Right, right. Cool. So if you're a man, you're struggling to make more male friends, I have a, a free list of places, physical and virtual, where you can meet like-minded guys. Visit realmenfeel.org slash gift. One of those places is mensgroup.com, the leader in online men's groups. You can chat with like-minded men, get assistance. Uh, visit mensgroup.com slash RMF, resources, uh, opportunities to join a, uh, a free group, see if it's for you. And uh, until next time, be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about author, coach, and healer Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. 
If you enjoyed this episode, it would help us greatly if you gave a review wherever you are listening right now. It takes less than a minute and helps other people discover Real Men Feel.